Our scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 18, and our scripture reader is Mary Colley. In honor of God's word, uh, please stand. Listen as I read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we are in a series called Presence, and it was originally a four-week series, but it turned into a five-week series. Uh, And part of that is, as I said last week, that um, today is Father's Day, and it seemed like quite an opportunity for us to consider uh, God the Father and uh, this this lens of, of presence and thinking about uh, God as Father. Uh, so th- the goal of this series uh, has been to see the links that God has gone to to create a world, uh, to recreate a world where his presence is more fully experienced by you and by me. Um, the, the passage that kind of became a, a little bit of an orienting principle for me was Exodus 33. <clears throat> and in Exodus 33, Israel is not doing great. They're not, they're not uh, obeying God very well. Uh, they're hearing him, but then not doing what they say they'll do, and, um, and it's, it's pretty bad. And in, in Exodus 33, Moses realizes how bad it is, and uh, he realizes that God would have every right to just drop, drop the people of Israel, to just drop them. <clears throat> and Moses uh, goes to God, and in Exodus 33, it says that Moses talked with God like a man talks with his friend. And it's just this snapshot of, of intimacy between Moses and, and, and the God of heaven. And so Moses goes to God, just like a man goes to his friend. And, and he, he says to God, okay, here's the deal. I know we're a train wreck, but if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't take us out of here. And what, what he means is, let us die in the desert. We, we would rather die in the desert than try to go somewhere without you. And so the question has been, how do you get to the place to where you look at your life and you conclude that it would not be worth living if the presence of God was not with you. You know, I think that for many of us, it it would be very easy to wake up on a day, go the whole day and not think about God one time. Maybe go a whole week. Maybe go a month. Maybe go a really long time and not think about the reality of God's presence uh, in your life. And yet here's Moses saying, if you're not with us, then just leave us here to die. Uh, so how do you get there? And well, throughout this series, I'm suggesting that seeing the glory of God's presence, it actually, it reveals itself as the most essential thing in the whole world. And so as we looked at Jesus' coming, the incarnation, Jesus being physically present here on earth, uh, then we looked at Jesus going to the Father and being physically present with the Father and what that means for us. Then we looked at uh, the, the, the Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit and indwelling us and the Spirit being here with us. And then last Sunday, we looked at the Trinity And we considered this reality of the intimacy of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in eternal community where there's uh, there's love and joy and relationship among the three. 
the three persons of the Godhead. That's always existed. And last Sunday I said, if you have come, if you've run to Christ, if you've trusted Christ to save you, then you've been scooped up into that trinity. You've been scooped up into the ultimate inner circle. And you've been welcomed at the table um, with the triune God. It's pretty incredible. So today, it's Father's Day, and and we're going to take a look at God as Father. So it's it's a, uh, Matthew chapter 3 will be our, our passage today, and this is the passage. We, we see the Trinity on, in, on display. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, uh, all in action uh, here in this passage. Kind of blows our, blows our minds. Um, and uh, and we'll, be, we'll be looking at these verses to help us uh, consider uh, what, what the Father is, is, is doing in the world. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a pretty popular thing today to make this statement. All people are God's children. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a conference, not, not very far from here, and um, the speaker on the very first night got up, and this, this conference was supposed to be somewhat of an evangelistic conference, and, uh, and, and the speaker got up, and within the first four or five minutes of his talk, he, he made this declaration that we are all God's children. And I remember feeling very disoriented uh, by, by, by that comment. Um, but then it actually put it on my radar, and I, I, started, I started listening. And the more I listened, the more I realized, like, boy, there's a lot of people that say we're all God's children. Every human is God's child. So a good question is, is that how the Bible speaks? Does, does the Bible say that all humans, all people in the whole world are God's children? Does the Bible say that? Well, the answer is yes and no but mainly no. Here's why. So think, think with me about the definition of a father. You know, we're on, here it is Father's Day, and if you think about the definition of a father, there, there's, there's always two aspects to it. What One is literal, and the other is love. What one aspect of a father, or one definition of a father, is that the, like the literal source of physical existence. You know, biology demands a father. So, so we could say fathers are literally a physical source of our existence. But father, it also carries with it this idea of having a certain relationship, a relationship of love, a relationship of care, intimacy, presence. You know, back in 2008, uh, Barack Obama was a senator and he gave a speech on Father's Day in 2008, and it was a speech on fatherhood. And you may have heard it before because it was, it was, a, it was actually a, a phenomenal speech. And I remember hearing it and saying, boy, actually, I, I didn't hear it. I read it. Uh, but uh, when I read it, I was like, man, that is, that is a great word for our world and for our culture. And in that speech, he's in Chicago when he gave the speech, and so <clears throat> he's thinking about the reality of Chicago and specifically inner city Chicago. And as he talks, he, he talked about the fact that the inner city definitely needs more jobs. He talked about the fact that the inner city definitely needed more police. He talked about the fact that the inner city definitely needed great teachers, that the inner city needed more school programs, that the inner city needed less guns. And then he said this, and this is a quote, but we also need families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize 
that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, it's the courage to raise one. You, you, see, you see what he's saying? He's, he's, he's weighing in on both of these aspects of fatherhood. Sure, you can technically be a dad by just giving birth to a human being, but that's, that's, not, the essence, that's not the fundamental essence. That, that's not the point. What we need is fathers to actually have the courage to be involved in the life of their children. Creating a kid, man, that's great, but it's the relationship that those kids really need. And, you know, movies are packed full of scenes like this. You know, a a scene where there's a kid who's been estranged from their father, and at some point in time, they get back in relationship with their father, and, and, you know, and as the scene unfolds, um, you know, the kid says, you're not, you're not my father. And the father's like, what are you talking about? And and the kid's like, you you were never there. You've seen scenes like this, right? Maybe you've personally had conversations like that. Maybe that's part of the story that, that you're living right now. Father relationships are, are complicated. And I don't have time to get into this, but the Jewish people had a complicated relationship with thinking about God as, uh, as father. And so did non-Jews in the first century. So, so you got a lot of company if this is hard. You, you got a lot of company if, if the term father and your own personal experience with your earthly father makes this harder. That you have a lot of company. I don't want you to feel alone. It, it's a complicated conversation. It's, it's a hard thing to process. And yet, the Bible wants us to understand, wants us to see the, 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 the fatherly aspect of the God of heaven. So to be a father, I mean, it means to be there for somebody. It means to be part of their life, to, to, to love them. And I think it's right to say this. If you put all this together, it's like, we definitely believe that the second part is more important, like more fundamental than the first part. We, we all recognize that the love component, like that is more essential to this idea of father. Now, of course, the literal part is essential, but to be a genuine father, this sense of presence, this sense of relationship, this sense of love, it's fundamental. And man, the Bible feels the exact same way. So there is a sense in which God is seen as the father of everyone because he is literally the creator of everyone. And there is one or maybe two times in the Bible where this idea is presented, where it's communicated. Paul does this in Acts chapter 17. He's preaching to a whole crowd of of Greek-speaking people, and he says, we are his offspring. That's not a group of, of, of God followers. It's a group of human beings. And Paul says to them, we are, we are his offspring. And so Paul right there is affirming to this, this mixed crowd that God's the creator, that in a sense, he's literally the father. So yeah, everybody in the world is created by God. Yeah, we're all his children in that sense. But that is not usually how the Bible talks about it. That's not the common way. That's not the the majority of the times that the Bible talks about it. The Bible actually talks about God being your father if, and actually only if, you've entered into a particular kind of relationship with him, where there's actually this sense of of love and and presence, where there's a, a relationship. 
The, the Bible says it's only when you enter into this kind of relationship with God, when you receive that relationship with God, that he becomes your father. And boy, there are incredible benefits of being a child of God. But if you think that just happens, if you think that that's not something that you have to, to enter into, then you will miss the incredible blessing and gifts of having a heavenly father. In the most intimate sense, God's not the father to every person, not according to the Bible. He doesn't have that father relationship with everybody. But boy, is he a father to those who have entered into that relationship. And you say, what, what does that mean? But what, what's the relationship? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked. Um, so first, God the Father. Now, God the Father and his Son. And this, this takes us here to, uh, to Matthew chapter 3. Now, if you look at the verses that were read by Mary just a couple minutes ago, you're going to quickly see that those verses don't include the, the word Father. There's five verses that we read this morning, and the word Father, it's not in there. And so, it, you know, it, you don't see the word Father, but what you will see is that it is totally inferred by what is spoken from heaven. And you'll see there in verse 17, it says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. This is my son. That, that's what a parent says. In this case, it's what a father says. And we can put together other passages of the Bible that, that communicate and affirm that, this, that this, this, uh, this voice from heaven is the father speaking over his son. Now, I mentioned already that this passage is very Trinitarian. We see God the Father speaking from heaven. We see God the Son standing in the water. And we see God the Spirit uh, descending like a dove. They're all active uh, at this same moment. At the beginning of this series, we focused on God the Son and what's called the incarnation, Him coming in the flesh, Jesus showing up on the dirt of the earth. And then two weeks ago, we focused on God the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Today, we're going to think about this, this role of Father. You see, as Jesus enters the water to be baptized, we see something that has become, man, so, so, so precious to me over the recent years. This interaction between God, God the Father, and God his Son. As, as Jesus enters the water to be baptized, we're invited to see what's going on between the two of them. And one thing that we see is that the smile of the Father is upon Jesus, his son. And he's smiling upon him. He says, this is my son, and I'm, I'm so pleased with him. I'm, I'm, I'm just so pleased with him. So let me explain what I mean by the smile of the Father is upon Jesus. See, the Christian understanding of God as our Father is not primarily related to creation, but to redemption. God created all things. Then, then sin entered this world in Genesis chapter 3, and it severed humanity's relationship with God the Father. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are walking with God in perfect relationship. God was literally their creator, and it was a loving relationship. Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God, and they walked together in the garden, is how that's communicated to us. 
But then sin shows up in Genesis 3, and it severs that relationship between God and all of humanity. But from Genesis 3 forward, Genesis 3, there's a little whisper. As God tells Adam and Eve, it's bad and it's going to get worse. It's worse than you think it could be. In the middle of all that, God whispers a little promise. And he says, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send help. I'm going I'm to fix it. And the rest of the story of the Bible is the story of how God is at work in the world to restore that intimate father-child relationship with humans. And Jesus is the primary piece to that plan. Jesus is the centerpiece to that plan. Uh, If you think of John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, that is telling us that God so loved the world, this is what he did. He sent his son. He gave his son. What, what What is God's centerpiece to rescuing humanity back to himself? It's the person of Jesus. It's the Father sending the Son. Think about this right here in Matthew chapter 3. Why is Jesus getting baptized? Why why is Jesus getting baptized? John the Baptist doesn't know. Look at those verses again. Jesus comes up to John and says, hey, I'd like to get baptized. And John's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Me baptize you? Shouldn't you baptize me? Like, why would you get baptized, Jesus? What John is doing is he's he's baptizing people in recognition of their sin, in a posture of repentance, in preparation for a Messiah. And John's like, why would you get baptized? Why would you don't need this? We all need this. You don't need this. Why did Jesus get baptized? Well, that's a long answer, but let, let me try to simplify it. Jesus's baptism was a symbol of his identifying with sinners. So so part of the reason that Jesus came to this earth was that he could identify with us. And so Jesus, who was sinless, took his place among sinners. And he entered the waters of baptism. He, He related to us. But his baptism was also a symbol of his death and resurrection. And so later in the New Testament, when they talk about baptism, it's referenced as being buried with Christ, having died with Christ, and then being raised to walk in newness of life. That going under the water is this symbolism of death, and coming out of the water is a symbolism of spiritual life, of being raised to new life. And as Jesus does this with John, as John uh, immerses Jesus and then brings Jesus back, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus' work to redeem us, that Jesus is going to die and be raised uh, um, as, as, as the eternal king. And that is what we're invited into as well. Sin has separated humans from God, and Jesus came to do something about it. And so what we have in Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus foreshadowing the gospel, him being a substitute for us, him dying for us, him rising again for us, him being the way in which humanity could be brought to life, could be restored to God. And boy, do we need to be restored to God. You see, if you were to read that story of the Bible, as hard as humans try, we can't do it. All through the Old Testament, we cannot do it. It is beyond us to fix this. The problem is bigger than us. I mentioned a moment ago that the Jewish people had a complicated relationship with thinking about uh, the God of heaven as father. Well, part of the reason, maybe, Uh, that it was tough, is that there's about 
half a million words in the Hebrew Bible, in, in the Old Testament, about half a million words, 15 times God is referred to as Father. 15 times. That's it. 39 books in the Old Testament, 15 times there's an inference or an, uh, a communication of God as Father. Now you go to the New Testament. By the time you get done the Gospels, four books, there's over 170 times where God the Father is referenced, where this idea of God as Father is, is taught and shared. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like, something's up. Something changed. The, the, the Gospels want you to see something. They, they want you to understand something. It's not that the Old Testament was afraid to say it, but when Jesus showed up, some, something became clear. There, there's a new thing, and this new thing is that the Son has come in the flesh to reveal to us the reality of our Heavenly Father. That while the Old Testament had a sense of it, there's occasional comment from a prophet or occasional comment in one of the Psalms. It, it, the, the idea was kind of there. And when the sun shows up, don't you think that that's going to like start connecting the dots? Oh, the sun. If there's a sun, there must be a father. And the gospel writers are delighted about it. 170 times in four books. They're shouting it from the rooftops. Something new is happening. Something new to see. See, the New Testament is answering how can God the Father be your father? How could that ever happen? And the answer that the New Testament is giving us is Jesus. It's through the Son. That's the reason why in John chapter 1, this is how that verse, John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. One of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus is the centerpiece to this work of God restoring humanity to himself. And so as the Son shows up, the love of the Father is more clearly seen. The love of the Father is more clearly celebrated. And honestly, the love of the Father should be longed for all the more. God so loved us that he sent his son. So we got God the Father, we got God the Father and his son, and now last, God the Father and us. God the Father and us. So I said a moment ago that Jesus has the smile of the Father, but boy, the news gets better. Jesus has won God's smile for us too. You know, in, in verse 17, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son. And the rest of the New Testament says that if we have run to this Son, if we have run to Jesus by faith, then everything that is true about Jesus is now true of us. The New Testament has the audacity to call those who put their faith in Jesus co-heirs with Jesus. Brothers, siblings, with Jesus. It's, it's the, the language that the New Testament uses for those who have put their faith in Jesus is absolutely phenomenal. The Bible loves the idea of adoption and this, this concept of us being brought into the family. 
And you know, adoption is this idea that's past tense. That's how you got into the family. But once you're adopted, you're in the family. And the New Testament wants you to know it and wants you to taste it. Everything that's true of Jesus is now true of us. So if you've trusted Christ to bring you to God, then you are not just God's son, son or daughter. You are his beloved son or daughter. You know, he said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son, and it even gets better. In whom I'm well pleased. I'm, I'm so pleased with him. I, I can't stop smiling about him. And then the New Testament has the audacity to say that if you're in Christ, if you've run to Christ by faith, now these are the things that God says over you. You know, there's an idea that's on the pages of the New Testament, uh, and it's like on the last day, you know, this, this idea that God is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's uh, a beautiful picture of on, on the last day, hearing God say, this is my, you know, well, well done, good and faithful servant. But sometimes I hear Christians talk about that like it's a coin toss. Like, he might let me in, but geez, will I be a servant that he gives me the, th like, like, this is my, you know, way, way to go, servant? Th no, the answer is absolutely yes. The, the answer is not, will he want it? No, the answer is, if you're in Christ, he's going to say, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Well done, faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. When he looks at you, he sees you covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of you. You are his beloved son, his beloved daughter. He is pleased with you. You see, this father wants a relationship with you. I think there's another idea that's just hinted at in Matthew chapter 3. And, and I've talked about this before, but I, probably because I, I love it. But, you know, the father smiles on the son. But if, you're, if your Bible is open, just, you can turn to the left a couple pages. What has Jesus done? What has Jesus done when he gets... Nothing. He's done no great miracles. He's preached no great sermons. The Father just loves him. The Father just pours out his love. You see, the Father's love is given. It's not earned. You know, my guy, LeBron James, one of my favorite, I, I, man, I didn't watch one minute of the NBA Finals this year. Uh, if LeBron was in them, I probably would have watched every minute of the NBA Finals. I love, I love LeBron James. Um, and he went to, he, he grew up in Northeast Ohio, played for Cleveland, went to Miami for a few years, and then came back to Cleveland. And when he came back to Cleveland, he wrote an article about coming home. And as that article comes to a close, this, this is what LeBron James said. In Northeast Ohio, nothing is given, everything is earned. You work for what you have. Well, look, maybe in Ohio, but not in the gospel. That is the opposite of the gospel. It is not earned, it is given. It is this beautiful picture of a father lavishing his love on us. This love has been severed, and God went to incredible lengths to offer the way back to him so that that love could be lavished on you. You see, the son brings us to the father, but the spirit has a role here too. You notice in Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus is standing in the water, uh, gets baptized, the father speaks from heaven, but 
there's, there's, there's a dove, like the Spirit of God, like a dove comes and lands on Jesus, rests on Jesus. And so I don't want us to miss the role of the Spirit here in regard to the Father's love. The Father speaks in Matthew chapter 3, but it's the Spirit who's there, who's present, who is a comforter. The Bible refers to the Spirit of God as a comforter sometimes. And as we come to Matthew 3 and we see this baptism happen, the comfort of the Spirit comes to Jesus. Maybe the most famous passage in the Bible, Romans 8, in regard to the, the work of the Spirit, is in Romans chapter 8. In verses 15 and 16 in that chapter, it says that through the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The, the Spirit himself is testifying to us. He's speaking to our spirit, to our insides, telling us that we're the children of God. That, that, that's what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is saying, don't forget the Father's love. Don't forget that you're an adopted son and daughter. Don't, don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget that he's welcomed you in. Don't forget that you're God's children for real, not just literal, loved. See, the Spirit comes into our lives to help us pray, Abba, Father. Now, many scholars believe that the word Abba, it's, it's an Aramaic word, and they believe that it's a word that, that like stood for like Papa or maybe even Daddy. It's a, like a word a child would use for, for their father. And we're told here that it's one thing to believe that God is your father, like in a, some sort of a theological way. But what God wants and what the Spirit wants is for you to pour your heart out to him. For you to come to him like daddy. For you to come to him like papa. For you to come to him and say, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not in, good, in a good place right now. Like You, you actually open up your life and you, you come to him with this level of freedom and intimacy and vulnerability. He says the Spirit's at work in us not just to say father, but to say Abba, father. The Holy Spirit is helping us say that. You see, God, God is so well aware of our neediness, of how frail we are. This is an invitation to not be embarrassed by our neediness. To come to him like the toddler runs to their dad. To recognize that you need help. When you're a kid and you hurt your knee, you run to your parent. You're not embarrassed by it. As we get older, we try to hide those things. We try to act like it's not a problem or we're not hurt. And the Spirit's at work in you to say, no, no, don't do that. God is well aware of how needy you are. And he wants that kind of intimacy. He wants that relationship. He wants it to open up. Verse 16 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that mean? God sends his Spirit right into our hearts to give us an assurance of the fatherly love. I think part of that is to remind us that it's not earned, it's given. That the gospel is not spelled D-O, the gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. It's not something that you earn, it's not something that you deserve, it's not something that you could ever work for, it's a gift, it's grace. And the Father's love, that intimacy, his presence, it's a gift, and the Spirit doesn't want you to forget it. There's an old story from a Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, and uh, he's out for a walk one day, and he sees a dad and a son out a little bit in front of him, 
and he can't hear what they're talking about. But at one point in time, as they're walking, the father turns to the son and scoops the son up in his arms and says out loud, uh, I love you. And the little boy says, I love you too, daddy. And the father puts the son back down and, and they walk away. And Thomas Goodwin says, uh, immediately, he just began to think, okay, now what just happened there? Was that son any less loved? Was he any less a son when they were walking on the path than when he was in his father's arms? And Thomas Goodwin's point is this. Technically, no. When they were walking beside each other, they were just as father-son as at any point in time. But when he got scooped up in his father's arms, he experienced the father-son relationship. He, he experienced the intimacy and the warmth of the father-son relationship. That's what the father wants for us. Not just for it to be technical, but for it to be experienced. That's what the Spirit's at work in your heart to do, to remind you to open up to your heavenly Father, to actually be vulnerable and honest and needy. You know, last week I said that if you've run to Christ, then you've actually been scooped up by the Trinity. You've been welcomed in to the most intimate circle. Well, the most intimate aspect of that circle is the embrace of the Father. It's the love of the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. Read about the life of Jesus. He came be out of the will of the Father to rescue people back so that we could experience the embrace, the smile of the Father of heaven. The love that has existed eternally in the Trinity is now poured out on us because of what Christ has done through the love of the Father. Now, if you think I'm overstating this, just think about how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. You know how he started that? The disciples in Luke, they, they, Luke records, he says, they asked him, how, how are we supposed to pray? Like, our Father. He doesn't say our judge, our holiness, our king. Those things are all true. But Jesus says when you pray, you pray our Father. Because that's the starting point. He, he's got to be your Father. He, he's, he is everybody's judge. He actually is the king of the whole world. But for him to be your father, there has to be a relational component that is offered through the person of Jesus. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you pray our father. You see, Jesus won the father's smile for us. And he wants you to know it and he wants you to enjoy it. And boy, you can have it. You can have it by faith. All you have to do is come. All you need is need. And the Father will pour that out on you because of Jesus. Let me close with this last idea. You know, if you look at your life and you find yourself running around and, you, and like you're trying to find approval or you're trying to find happiness or you're trying to find acceptance, maybe it's because you haven't realized how much this gift from Jesus, that this blessing of the Father, this smile of the Father is meant to change your life. Are you working for love or from love? See, your relationship with your earthly father may complicate this. I understand that. There's a lot of complicated stories out there where you've lived your whole life trying to earn some love from an earthly father that you never were able to get. I understand if it complicates it. But the relation I'm talking about is not an earthly relationship. 
If you had an incredible father, that's awesome too. So whether by, by similarity or by contrast, the invitation here is to take, take what you can understand in regard to your earthly father and recognize that the heavenly father, it's that times a million. It's, it's, it's so much better than we could imagine. The message of the gospel is that Jesus has already done it for us. He has won the smile of the Father. He has won the love of the Father. Now in Christ, we can actually receive the love of the Father and we live from it, not for it. We're not trying to earn it. We can actually put our heads on the pillow at the end of the day and be confident that we're loved like that. This is, this is the good news of a father who loves. Loves the world so much that he sent his own son to come make things right. So as we come to the table today, my invitation to you is to realize that this bread and this cup, which represent the body and the blood broken and spilled for you, are the way in which you are adopted into the family so that the love of the Father, the smile of the Father, falls on you. And it's available to you. All you need is need. God, we thank you for this, uh, this good news of a Father who loves us like this. And we thank you that uh, you loved us so much that you sent your son. God, we thank you that Jesus, as the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, which is us, endured all that so that this could happen, so that he actually could bring us back to you by grace, as a gift, something that's just lavished upon us just, just by asking, just, just by giving up, by recognizing that we can't do it, but Jesus can. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. God, the Spirit is whispering in our hearts, inviting us to realize that love. God, would you help us to open our hearts up, to be vulnerable with you, to be intimate with you, to, to, to recognize you're, you're here with us through your Spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.